we're thinking about the passage in John about where Jesus turns um, Jesus turns water into wine. So um, I'm going to share this screen with you again, and hopefully you'll get to see this. So one day, a long time before he fed 5,000 people or walked on water, in fact, before he'd done any miracles in public at all, Jesus was at a party. And not just any old party, he was at a wedding party in a place called Cana with his mum and his friends, the disciples, and the family and friends of the bride and groom. There was cake, and there was dancing, and games, and wine, and oh, oh, oh dear, the wine was starting to run out. Oh man, we're running out of wine for the guests. This is a disaster. And it was a disaster. It wasn't just a bit of an awkward moment. Running out of wine at a wedding party in those days would bring incredible shame on the bride and groom and their family. Now, Jesus' mum, Mary, overheard the servants freaking out. Psst, Jesus, they're running out of wine. You could do something. Mum, is that any of our business? It's not the right time for me to do big public miracles yet. But Jesus' mum, as parents sometimes do, went ahead with things anyway. Whatever my son tells you to do, I want you to do it, okay? Uh, who are you? What? Okay. So Jesus pointed the servants towards six pots that the wedding guests had been filling with water to wash their hands with. Okay, chaps, if you could fill those jars up to the brim with water, please, then that would be great. But those are the washing pots! There's going to be germs all over them! Ugh. Just trust me. Oh, okay. Now pour some of the water out into a cup and take it to the master of the ceremony for him to drink. Are you kidding me? You want me to take the dirty water everyone has washed their hands in and give it to my boss to drink? Are you some kind of nutcase? No way! I promise you, it'll be okay. Just trust me. Alright, but if I get sacked, it's your fault. So the servant took the dirty water over to his boss, the master of ceremonies, for him to drink. And amazingly, it wasn't dirty water anymore. The water had turned into wine. And not just any old wine, but the very finest wine. This is fantastic wine. Bride and groom, you and your family should be proud of yourselves. Usually, everybody gives out the best wine at the start of the party, and then gives out the cheap stuff later on when everybody is a little bit drunk. But you guys, you have saved the best and last. This is the best wedding ever! Now the master of ceremonies didn't realize where the wine had come from, but of course the servants knew, and they were amazed. Jesus had turned dirty water into the finest wine, not so he could look cool, because nobody apart from the servants and his disciples knew about it, but so he could show his love and his power. His love for the bride, groom, their family and all of their guests, and his power to provide for them. By turning the water into wine, not only had Jesus saved the bride and groom and their family from embarrassment and shame, but he'd made sure the wedding was even better than it was going to be in the first place. And it's the same for us. When we need Jesus to provide for us in our times of need, he doesn't just provide a little bit, but he blesses us in abundance. He makes sure that things will be even better than they were in the first place. So there we go. That's our story for this morning. Um, Jesus does some amazing things. 
uh, he turns water into wine um, a lot of water into a lot of wine um, uh, Natalie, you're gonna, we're gonna I'm gonna we've got a reading now Natalie's gonna read um, John 2 we're gonna do John 2 1 to 11 it's coming up on the screen um, you might want it in your Bibles as well here we go on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, fill these jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bride aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after they had too much to drink. But you saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So I've got a little video which is going to introduce the talk. We're going to um, look through John's Gospel. Um, it's based on, uh, I'll show you this on the screen later on, uh, it's based on Uncovered John, um, a book of studies we did in 2016. Uh, so now is a good time to be thinking through John's Gospel again. Um, but here's a, a video to introduce and then we'll think about those uh, verses in just a little bit more detail. Whoops. Why does John tell a story of Jesus solving a catering mishap? Sure, weddings are big occasions, and nobody wants that to go wrong. But given that John tells us later that Jesus healed the lame, gave sight to the blind, and even raised the dead, why include a story about someone who underestimated the right quantity of booze to buy for a party? And what on earth has that got to do with anybody in the 21st century? We might ask ourselves, what was Jesus doing at a party like that in the first place? Today, religious figures are not on the top of the guest list when we want to let our hair down. And yet here is Jesus, not only a guest at the party, but he's the one making sure the celebrations continue. In the ancient Hebrew scriptures, wine was a symbol of joy and feasting, of celebration and satisfaction, a figure of what every human soul longs for. In those scriptures, there was a promise that one day God himself would come to the world and bring a day where wine was abundant, where joy and feasting are everlasting, and where peace and harmony were triumphant. The wedding then, where the wine is about to run out and the party come to a sad end, seems to capture the experience of waiting for joy in a world where, if it comes at all, it quickly departs. This couple's dilemma, facing disappointment and disillusionment on what is supposed to be a day of deepest joy and satisfaction, is actually a quandary we all face and the hardest human predicament to solve. And yet, with the intervention of Jesus, they find that not only is the wedding saved from catastrophe, but something far more wonderful and abundant than they could ever have dreamt of is provided for them. What must those who know what Jesus has done conclude? 
what to make of a man who could make 130 gallons of water into the finest wine. Could the ancient promises really come true? Could it be that in this small anonymous wedding, something far more significant and wonderful is taking place? Who is Jesus? And if this is what Jesus can do for a party, then what could he do for a whole life? You might have questions about this story. So why not use the studies within the text and discuss all your questions with a friend? So you'll see there are links to this online. Um, there's extra materials online. Um, go to www.uncover.org.uk um, slash John. But let's have a little think this through today. And you can tell me afterwards whether you'd kind of rather um, see my ugly mug or whether you'd rather have the PowerPoint slides uh, as we go forward. For today, I'm gonna to give you the slides. Um, and I think you can probably see me down in the corner in a kind of really minute version. Uh, what's new, eh? Um, so I want you to imagine the biggest kind of booziest party you can think of. Um, what is the last thing that they want at that point in time? Well, I suggest it's probably that the last thing they want is for a bunch of Christians to turn up. Um, and many people feel the same about Jesus. Uh, they see that he's kind of kind and generous, um, but they worry that his presence um, or his rule in their lives is, is going to curb their enjoyment. Uh, they're worried that he's going to kind of squash the joy out of life somehow. And maybe you feel the same. Maybe you feel the same. If I'm really wholehearted about Jesus, I'm going to live this really boring kind of life. And if that's what you think, then today is going to be a story full of surprises. And here's the first one. Um, Jesus performs a miracle at all. So some people have um, recap. Let's just recap for a moment before that, though. Um, so Jesus is at this wedding um, with his mother and the disciples, uh, and the wine runs out. So both the families are going to be grossly embarrassed. There's going to be accusations and counter-accusations between these two families for years. You can just imagine it, can't you? Um, and the groom is going to be marked out as an incompetent. Um, probably for the rest of his life. And actually, Cana is quite a small village, um, so they must have got through quite a lot of wine each. They must have been really going for it. Um, and, and the wedding could have been lasting a, a week. So the party's going well, and then suddenly it comes to this um, screeching halt. And um, Jesus' mother notices, um, and I was on a day... And when we notice mothers, uh, we notice that it's mothers who often notice um, what's happening and what needs to be done. So nothing unusual there. She prompts Jesus to intervene. So she must understand already at, at that point in her life um, his identity. She must understand something about his identity and something about um, his true capability. And Jesus gives her this little cryptic response, which is, um, my hour has not yet come. And we'll come back to that later on. But back to our surprises. Um, first one is that Jesus performs a miracle at all. So maybe you have a problem with miracles. Lots of people do. Maybe you just think, well, the people were gullible and they were just tricked by something. Um, or maybe you think it was a made-up story. Um, or maybe you think it's been changed over time. But the Pharisees were not gullible. There's a thing that happens later on. Um, in John, where Jesus, um, he heals a man born blind. And the Pharisees, 
um, they get their policemen's hats on um, and they do their best investigation. Um, and they, they're not happy to, um, they're not really happy to, to say that a miracle has occurred until they bring in the man's parents and say, is this really your son, um, the, man, uh, the man born blind? So are they just gullible? No, they're not. They're no more gullible than we are. They're no more credulous than we are. Um, the Pharisees undertake a, an expectation. And, and John expects you to do the same. Um, he's an eyewitness of this with the rest of the disciples. Um, and so he says this at the end of the gospel. He says, um, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John doesn't expect people to believe without an investigation. And what he's doing in his gospel is he's gathering the evidence for you to do exactly that. Have a real investigation, a real long look at the life of Jesus and decide who he is. He doesn't want us to switch our brains off. He wants you to use your brains and, and draw uh, a conclusion. Um, there's good evidence that the text has come down to us over time. You can watch the video online. Um, you can go up to Manchester, if you so desire, and see a tiny little bit of, of text, of the earliest text of John's Gospel, dated about 130 um, AD. It's in the Manchester University Library. Um, and it's the same John uh, as we've got today. So we can be sure that it's come down to us um, unchanged. And actually, why, why should we be surprised? And I guess most of us are believers. Why would we, why would we, we be surprised um, if Jesus is God, um, that he, if he didn't do um, extraordinary things? So one of the things I want to suggest to you is in this coronavirus time, um, suddenly uh, we can't live life as if we're totally in control. Suddenly it throws us back into these big questions uh, of thinking about God. Um, is God really real? Is God really involved in my life? Is he really involved in, in the physical aspects of life? Um, and I want to suggest that now is a great time for you to re-examine the evidence about Jesus and realize that he's a real physical person and yet he's God in human form uh, and that means he can really get involved in our real physical world. <coughs> Excuse me. Second um, surprise is that Jesus performs this kind of miracle. This is an embarrassing situation, um, but it's not a fatal um, situation. It's not a matter of, of life and death. It, it's not a coronavirus outbreak. Why would anyone want to invent this kind of, uh, of miracle? And if you were launching a movement, if you wanted to start a political party, or if you simply wanted to, re to uh, release the next great um, single you would do it on the largest stage possible and here is Jesus in this tiny little tiny little village turning water into wine and so John tells us it's not just a miracle um, it's a sign what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee he says was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and, and his disciples believed in him it's Jesus' mission launch. It's the mission to reveal his glory and his identity. And it's the start of Jesus' campaign um, to trust him uh, as God. So actually, when you think about it, 
I think most of most of the Jews, I think maybe we we thought Jesus was, was was starting a mission. We might have expected him to turn wine into water. We might have expected him to come and uh, and say, "You need to be a bit more sober, guys, um, and turn all the wine back into water." But he doesn't. Instead, he produces um, something between seven hundred uh, and a thousand bottles of wine. Um, that is one serious party. Why does he do that? And this is the important bit is he wants to show us that he's in the business of producing overwhelming joy and fulfillment. He's in the business of producing overwhelming joy and fulfillment. And so to follow him is a bit like getting married. Um, it's a moment of joy. It's a great day of celebration, uh, followed by a really um, significant relationship but one with its ups and downs, and one that takes a little bit of working out. And so, like a marriage, um, it's not all party, um, but it is like a marriage, it is that relationship which underpins then um, everything else. And it's a relationship that's headed, um, headed towards joy. So, heaven is pictured like um, a massive wedding um, feast. So, John writes another book, which you know about, he wrote the book of Revelation. And he said, uh, he had this vision where he heard, um, he heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the sound of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah for our Lord God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are the true words of God. Sorry, I've missed my PowerPoint. So now is a really good time to reflect on heaven. In this time when we realise it's not all party, uh, we can't even necessarily gather um, together physically uh, as, as church, Nevertheless, Jesus is still in the business of producing joy and the end result that he is aiming for is to take you and to be with him at his great wedding banquet. Um, when we get to heaven, it's going to be like, uh, it's going to be like we've been on Zoom uh, for the rest of our lives and suddenly we're, uh, we meet everybody um, together again and there's going to be great joy. So in this time that you've got, and maybe you'll have more thinking time than you've had for a while. It's a great time to reflect on heaven. But the third surprise is, why does Jesus do this miracle? Jesus preforms a miracle in this way. Oops, sorry for the typo. So Jesus produces some wine out of some very significant water. Uh, it may be just that he uses the largest containers that are available, but this uh, water was used for the Jews' ceremonial washing six stone uh, water jars. There were lots of kind of um, washing you had to do if you were a Jew. Um, there was lots of uh, sacrifices you had to make. And they were designed to show the Jews one thing, designed to show them and us that they were unclean. Designed to show them that before God, in and of themselves, they were impure, they were unclean, they were out of fellowship with God. And they started to give other Jews a hint about what God was going to do about it. So there were centuries of teaching which reinforced that the things they had done, 
the things they had not done, the things they had thought, the attitudes they had taken, um, had put them out of fellowship with God and made them unclean. What is God going to do about it? What is Jesus going to do about it? Well, the hint is there in that Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. He says that throughout the Gospels. He says it repeatedly. My hour has not yet come. And then suddenly on the day before he dies, um, he says to his followers, he says, my hour has come. Just before that moment where he heads out to Gethsemane, he says, my hour has come. His hour is his death on the cross. And it's his death on the cross which um, makes us clean. He's the sacrificial lamb uh, prefigured in those Old Testament sacrifices that washes away our sin, prefigured in all those ceremonial. So the really good news about Christianity, I want to suggest, is this. We're not made clean through ceremony. You've got a message now, haven't you? that you've got to stay away from this coronavirus. You've got to wash your hands um, all the time. Um, you don't want to pass this contagion on. Um, well, you know you've got a worse contagion, don't you? And it was called sin. And no amount of washing um, will get rid of it. And that's the good news of Christianity. No ritual, no effort that you make uh, will ever make you clean before God. You... You're made clean by invitation. You're made clean by invitation to a wedding banquet. You're made clean by the death of Jesus on the cross. Uh, so the, the invitation is there for you today. It, it is outstanding. It's an invitation to a wedding. It's an invitation to a great celebration. Um, and the entrance price has been paid. It's been paid by Jesus on the cross.